Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, we're continuing in the Prayers to the Creator series, and you just told me that the prayer we're going to look at today is unusual because the people praying don't know anything about the Lord they're praying to. (laughs) That's right, Scott. The last prayer we looked at was offered by King Nebuchadnezzar, who was a pagan, and in the same vein, the prayer we're going to look at today is offered by men who did not worship or even know about the Lord, that is, Yahweh, the God of Israel. So the prayer of Nebuchadnezzar was in the book of Daniel. Mm -hmm. Is this next prayer in Daniel as well? Maybe King Darius or Cyrus? No. In fact, we have to move forward all the way to the book of Jonah to find the next prayer to the Creator. Jonah? Now, wait a minute. Jonah is near the middle of the minor prophets, isn't it? Yeah. Jonah is the fifth of 12 minor prophets. So what about the first four? You mean Hosea, Joel, Amos, and Obadiah? Exactly. Well, as we've seen in all the prophets, the Lord's words are recorded very often in the form of oracles spoken through the prophets, and there is very little talking back, so to speak, to the Lord by the people, or even the prophet for that matter. So there just aren't very many prayers recorded in the books of the prophets, let alone prayers addressed to God as the Creator. Dr. Scripture, I recall a great prayer offered by Daniel himself. It's in chapter 9 of his book. Mm -hmm. It's a passionate prayer of confession and supplication to the Lord to restore Jerusalem. You're saying there's no reference in that prayer of Daniel to the Lord's identity as creator? No, Scott. It is indeed a great prayer by the prophet Daniel, as you point out, but not to the Lord as creator. And so, with no other prayers to the Creator in Daniel, I didn't find any prayers that fit our criteria as a prayer to the Creator in Hosea, Joel, Amos, or Obadiah. But there is a very unique and interesting one in the prophet Jonah. And you're saying this prayer we're going to be looking at was not Jonah's prayer. I mean, you're not calling him a pagan, right? (laughs) Even though anyone observing his behavior may have thought he was one. That's a good point, Scott. And you're right. It's not a prayer of Jonah. It's a prayer spoken by the sailors of the ship that he was on. The ship Jonah had hoped could take him away from God's presence. (laughs) Something like that. So, the prayer of the sailors is found in Jonah chapter 1, verse 14. You could say it was short and sweet, or probably more accurately, it was short and desperate. Now, we'll read some of chapter 1 to understand the context of their prayer. But first, let's just read the sailors' prayer itself in verse 14. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us. For thou, O Lord, hast done as thou hast pleased. Well, that certainly is a prayer, but where is the Lord's identity as creator mentioned? Excellent question, Scott. And the answer lies in what Jonah told them about the Lord. So I'm going to assume people know at least the premise of the story of Jonah. The Lord told him to go to Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrians, who were the Israelites' dreaded enemy, and Jonah was to warn them of coming judgment. 
Well, Jonah, for several reasons, some more obvious than others, didn't want to do this, and he hopped on a ship to the other side of the Mediterranean Sea, hoping to flee from the presence of the Lord. Something he had to know was futile. Yes, but since when does our sinful nature guide us down a wise or even sensible path. Point taken. Sin is almost always irrational in the light of God's nature. So, try and escape he did. But the Lord stirred up a great storm, and the ship and all who were on it were in peril for their lives. And it must have been apparent that this storm was supernatural in origin, because all the men immediately started praying to their gods. So, let's start reading now at verse 5, Scott. Okay, Jonah 1, 5. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laid down, and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots, so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you, that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Okay, we'll stop there. So, did you notice what Jonah said about his God? Yes, he identified his God as the Creator. Mm -hmm. He said, I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. (laughs) Which is rather ironic, since he totally ignored what his God had told him to do. I'll say. Jonah said he fears the Lord God of heaven, but his actions did not match his words at all. However, since the sailors did not know anything about the Lord, Jonah's description was enough for them to immediately recognize that Jonah's God, the Creator, was responsible for the storm, and if they didn't somehow appease him, they were all doomed. So, in verse 14, as they cried out to the Lord, saying, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for thou, O Lord, hast done as thou hast pleased. They believed the Lord was the Creator. So, it made sense to them that the Creator who made the sea could both stir up a cataclysmic sea storm and calm it back down. But, Dr. Scripture, it's curious to me that 
they asked Jonah what they should do to him so the sea would be calm for them. It's interesting that they didn't ask what they should do for themselves. (laughs) Yes, it is, isn't it? I suppose it could have been because they realized God's intention was to punish Jonah. So they figured maybe they could do God's work for him, Mm. and then they wouldn't also have to go down with the ship. So it could be they were thinking, let's not be like the baby that gets tossed out with the (laughs) bathwater. Well, they certainly didn't think they had committed any transgression against the Lord. So why should they be punished too? But perhaps another reason may have been that they didn't know anything about Jonah's God except for what Jonah told them. So they felt that they needed, and they were actually expecting Jonah to be the one to intercede for them. So I think you can identify then with their surprise when Jonah told them what to do. Throw him into the sea. Yeah. But if they cast Jonah into the sea, perhaps they were thinking, what good was he going to be to them then? (laughs) So you figure that's why they didn't throw him in immediately? Because at first they tried rowing even harder, but that turned out to be useless. That makes sense to me. They may have felt Jonah was their only hope to appeal to the Lord, or they may have felt like God would be angry with them for killing Jonah because in their minds, throwing Jonah overboard was indeed a death sentence. I think the last thought on their minds was a big fish was going to come up and swallow him and protect him from the storm. (laughs) New method of fishing, I guess. (laughs) But once they realized they had nothing to lose but their own lives, they offered their desperate prayer for mercy. And justice. Now, why do you say that, Scott? Well, remember in their prayer, they said, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us. That's an excellent observation. It does seem like they're saying, if Jonah is innocent, don't kill us for killing him. (laughs) We're only taking his word for what you want. They really are appealing to God's sense of justice, aren't they? Yeah. And so based on what Jonah told them, that his God, the Lord, made the sea and the land, and if they wanted to get the creator to calm the sea and save their lives, they needed to toss Jonah the guilty party, into the sea. They took Jonah's word for it, but before they did what he said, they prayed a great prayer of supplication, simple yet sincere. And then they did what Jonah told them to do. They tossed him into the ocean. And what follows is one of the remarkable miracles in the Bible. So now let's read verses 15 through 17 of Jonah chapter 1. Okay, so they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. You know, that reminds me of when the disciples were concerned that the storm was going to flood the boat and they were all going to drown. And Jesus was asleep just like Jonah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. You know, there's a lot of parallels between Jonah and the Lord Jesus in this story. In any event, Jesus stood up, and as soon as he spoke, you know, the sea went calm. And you get the sense that that's what happened here. It was obvious to those sailors that this was a miracle. Then it says, the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. 
And there we have a line that is quoted in the New Testament referring to the period of time that the Lord Jesus was in the tomb. So we see there are several parallels. You know, another parallel between Jonah and the Lord is Jonah was essentially a sacrificial substitute for those sailors. Mm. Now, of course, they were quite different in their nature, but still— Jesus truly was was an innocent man. Uh, Yeah, right. And so there is Jonah. He was sacrificed for the lives of those sailors, just as our Lord Jesus was. And then we have that symbolic idea of Jonah being resurrected, just as our Lord literally was. So we see this wonderful response by the sailors as they saw the hand of the Creator act on their behalf. But you know what, Scott? There are a lot of people who have more trouble accepting the truth of the miracle that God appointed or chose a great fish to swallow Jonah and that he remained alive in the fish for three days than they have accepting the idea that God created the heavens and the earth. My thought is, if the Word of God reveals that the Lord made the sea and the land and all they contain including all the fishes. Why is it when the word also reveals that the Lord provided a fish to save Jonah, a person would accept one miracle, but not another? Well, Dr. Scripture, I suppose Jonah isn't the only one capable of some pretty inconsistent thought processes. (laughs) Well, that is very true, and I suppose it's not funny. And it's something we all should routinely, honestly evaluate in our own lives. And when we find ourselves struggling with something, the Word of God says, Jeremiah's prayer to the Creator should be a good reminder to simply trust what the Lord says. It's in Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, Thou hast made the heavens and the earth by Thy great power, and by Thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for Thee. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says. 